we are in a series called Dirt Poor, and this is part three. In ancient times, animals were often housed under the same roof as the poor people who used them to make a living, so a dirt floor was the only practical option in their dwelling places. And for most of these peasants, a dirt floor wasn't only practical, it was the only possible option. They just didn't have any money. Only wealthy people had an option other than dirt for their floors. And so over the years, across languages and cultures and countries and borders, there arose a familiar expression that we still use today. Uh, we say they're dirt poor, and that's where it comes from. We're talking about a little bit of a different kind of dirt and a little different kind of poor. We've been talking about the parable taught by Jesus in Matthew 13, and we'll just kind of review this real quick. Jesus spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, A sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So the question we are considering in this four-part series is simply this. What kind of soil is in your heart? Jesus' first parable in his last year of public ministry, it reveals that most people, at least three-quarters of them, if we take his percentages, three-quarters of people are dirt poor. The soil of their heart simply will not sustain spiritual growth because they never allow the word of God to take root. The sower doesn't change. The seed doesn't change. But the heart can prove fickle. Jeremiah the prophet said, The human heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You need the word of God to penetrate your heart because you don't know what's in there without the word of God. The heart can appear one way on the surface, but underneath can present a totally different reality. And that's why Jesus teaches us that the human heart, like the soil of a field, it can be hardened, it can be shallow, it can be strangled, or it can be fruitful. So it's not about the weather. Some people like to, believe, to blame their response on God's word on their circumstances. If my life was better, I'd respond better. But the weather was the same for each kind of soil in the farmer's field. And if we look at our lives, someone in worse circumstances than you or me has obeyed the scriptures because their heart was open. It wasn't the weather. It wasn't their circumstance. It's not only not about the weather. It's not about the sower either. The sower is, of course, the Holy Spirit who through preaching and teaching by anointed vessels by Bible study teachers and preachers and pastors. The Holy Spirit sows the seed of the word of God in our heart. And although God uses different people to share his word at different times, at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, there's really only one sower and there's really only one source of seed. And so it's not about the weather, it's not about the sower, and it's not about the seed either, because Luke tells us emphatically that the seed is the word of God, which never changes. 
So in Jesus' parable, nothing at all is said about the sower's technique or his ability. Nothing is said about the seed's quality because the Spirit of God and the Word of God, they never change. So it's not about the weather. It's not about the sower. It's not about the seed. What is it about? It's all about the soil. It's all about your heart. The, the difference in outcomes in different parts of this field, it is entirely due to the condition of the soil. And so in life, when you receive the word of God, what happens after that is entirely due to the condition of your heart. Only you decide how you hear and if you obey the word of God. Your response is your responsibility. So we don't have to wonder about the meaning of this parable at all because Jesus explained it in detail to his disciples when they came to him. After he told this story, they came and said, what do you mean? Why are you speaking in parables and what's the meaning? And he told them. So we don't have to guess. All three of the gospel writers who record this parable, they also include Jesus' explanation concerning the four types of soil. And all three of them tell us that the soil represents the human heart. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell us emphatically that the soil represents the human heart. So the seed is the word. That's what we talked about last week. And today and uh, next week, we want to talk about the soil is your heart. Now, since nobody here in this service tonight is a Jewish farmer, and certainly nobody is a Jewish farmer from the first century, uh, let's review, the. some of you might come close, you think, but you're not. Uh, let's review for a second the four types of soil before we move on tonight to Jesus' explanation of their meaning. First of all, there's hardened soil. Uh, Jesus says, some seeds fell by the wayside. And this refers to well-worn footpaths that separated the fields in Jesus' day. And there weren't fences or hedges. There were just footpaths that divided up the fields. And these pathways, when they were dry, they were as hard as concrete. Seed that landed on them had no hope whatsoever of penetrating the hardened ground. It would just lie there and it would either be trampled and crushed or it would be eaten by birds before it ever had a chance to sprout. Seed that fell on footpaths, it never had a chance to take root simply because it landed at the extreme edges of the field, and so it was easy picking for the birds. And then Jesus talked about shallow soil. He said, some seed fell uh, upon stony places. Now that doesn't refer to a field full of rocks because no self-respecting farmer would leave a bunch of rocks visible in his field. He wouldn't do that. This refers to a rocky ledge or a rock bed just a little bit under the field's surface. It's covered by a shallow layer of good soil on top. And that rock ledge that's underneath, it's invisible to the farmer when he's plowing. But the soil's not deep enough. In that hot climate, it can't stay moist enough to sustain crops. So the seed will germinate, and the plants will actually look lush for a while, but the roots never go deep enough to sustain the, gr the growth of that crop. As soon as the hot sun comes out, the plants wither and die. That's the shallow soil. And then Jesus talks about what I call strangled soil. He says, some fell among thorns. This refers to weed-infested soil. It's full of useless wild vegetation. It's got thorns and nettles and thistles and just a bunch of weeds. 
and they are harmful to crops because they take over the field. And every gardener in this room knows that weeds grow faster than anything else. And when they grow, they choke out everything else. So seed that's sowed in a field of weeds, it never matures to a healthy harvest because the weeds suck up the soil's moisture and they drain out the nutrients and they even if they get high enough, they block the sunlight from the crops and so they choke out the life of anything that's good. That's the strangled soil or the, the weedy, thorny ground. And then finally, there's fruitful soil. Jesus said other seed fell into good ground. And this refers to fertile, fruitful soil. The seed that lands here can flourish because it can get right down into the soil. It's not underfoot. It's not out where the birds can pick it off. Uh, its roots are able to penetrate deeply because this is clean soil. It's free from weeds. It's got room for the crop to thrive. Now here's what's important. In every sense, this good ground, this fertile, fruitful soil, it is prepared soil. Somebody has taken care to make sure it was ready for seed. So the seed that lands here produces an abundant crop. And Jesus said it's 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. And we mentioned this uh, last week. Even a 10-fold harvest would be quite an amazing return on a farmer's investment if he made $10 for every dollar he invested. 30-fold or 60-fold is a spectacular harvest, but in 100-fold, that's a staggering profit. That's a very, very fruitful or fertile soil. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. But brothers and sisters, this isn't a story about farming. This is actually a diagnosis of the human heart. Not the blood pumping organ in the center of your chest, but the choice making capacity at the center of your life. This is the real human heart, not just the physical organ. This is the heart we sing about and write about and preach about. This is the heart we love with and long with and lust with. This is your heart that can be hurt or happy or hateful. This is your heart that ultimately decides who you are and what you become and most importantly where you go for eternity. Your heart, like the soil of a field, it can be hardened or it can be shallow or it can be strangled or it can be fruitful. And Jesus' parable reveals again that most people Probably three-quarters of them are dirt poor. Their heart simply will not sustain spiritual growth. They never allow the Word of God to take root for one reason or another. And so when his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, uh, we heard the story, we appreciate the story, but you're talking in these parables. This is new. This is different. This is strange. What did you mean? And Jesus gave them this explanation. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and they understand it not, then comes the wicked one and he catches away that which was sown in that person's heart. This is the person that receives seed by the wayside. Everyone say hardened ground. But he that receives seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy they receive the word, but he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. 
Everyone say shallow ground. That's what that is. And then Jesus says, he also that received seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Everyone say strangled ground. But he that receives seed into good ground is he that hears the word, understands it, bears fruit and brings forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Everyone say fruitful ground. So these are the four types of hearts that Jesus is speaking of. Notice when he's talking about that first type of soil, he said that the wicked one catches away the seed of the word that is sown in his heart. Not in his field, not on his farm, not in literal soil. Jesus is talking about the heart. So tonight, uh, we're going to split this up just for the sake of time. Tonight I want to talk about a couple of those types of soil that Jesus talked about. A couple of conditions of the human heart that Jesus identified. And the first one is that first type of soil, the hardened ground, the hardened soil. And that indicates a hardened heart. The pressed down, dry, and a hardened soil by the wayside on those footpaths, it draws a picture for us. It draws a picture of a heart that is impervious to biblical truth. This is probably the most disturbing, maybe even the most hopeless, of all the conditions that Jesus portrays. Unbelief and a love of sin have made this heart an environment where truth cannot penetrate, much less take root. The hearer is spiritually oblivious when they hear the word. And so they're totally susceptible to the strategies of Satan. He can come in like those birds and take away the seed of the word even as they hear it. Their heart is like impenetrable concrete. It is so hardened. And they are a victim of the devil because he just steals away the word as quick as it comes at them. The Old Testament calls people like this stiff-necked. Or it says they have hardened their neck. It clearly implies that they have, not accidentally, but they have deliberately hardened their hearts to prevent the seed of the word from taking root. It's like they've got a guard up and they won't let the word come in. They intentionally ignore the voice of the preacher. They willfully disengage from the pull of God's spirit. They knowingly reject the counsel and the commandments of God's word. They consciously push away any call to repentance. And they stubbornly cling to the ways of the world. It's not an accident. Their heart is hardened. They're pushing it away intentionally. They are exactly like those men, religious men by the way, who stoned young Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And just before they snuffed out the voice that was ringing in their ears and nagging at their heart, Stephen called them on it. And here's what he said. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost 
as your fathers did, so do ye. He called them on it. You're doing this intentionally. You're resisting God intentionally. Your heart is stiff-necked. Your heart is hardened. Now, you got to remember something. Jesus isn't talking to sinners when he uh, makes this address and tells this parable. For the most part, he's talking to a group of people that want to be there and want to follow him. He's actually addressing disciples when he gives this explanation about the human heart, about the four kinds of soil. It's pretty obvious to me, at least, and I think to you, that most people in the world have hardened hearts toward God. But before you get all up on your religious high horse, don't think that church people are immune to this particular heart condition. The Word of God tells us otherwise, and human experience for most of us tells us otherwise. We've all seen somebody that they may have attended church, but their heart was hard toward God. They may have listened to some sermons over the years, but their heart was hard toward God. See, here's Jesus' picture. This ground has been trampled down by many, many feet that have passed by this way over many years. It's just a footpath. Hundreds and thousands of people have walked on this soil and it's packed down. It's as hard as concrete. And so the seed that falls there, any seed that lands there, it just lies on the path. It doesn't sink into the ground. Matthew says that a person like this, when the word is preached, they understandeth it not. They may hear the word, but they don't perceive the word. Their heart is just too hardened. Why? Because they're listening to too many other voices. Too many feet have walked through the path of their heart. So their mind, their spirit, their soul, their heart is calloused by worldly activities and worldly attitudes. And so over time, their spirit becomes totally numb to the conviction and the instruction of God's word. Satan's goal is always to steal away the word of God before it can take root. I don't care if you're sitting in a Sunday service. I don't care if you're listening to a great evangelist. Or I don't care if you're in Wednesday night Bible study. The devil's goal for you tonight is to steal away any part of the word of God before it could ever get in your heart and take root. And he doesn't care how he does that. If he can just trick you into hardening your heart against God's conviction, then he can send the birds to pick away the seed. He can send any kind of situation into your life to snatch that seed away. The devil is evil, and he is brutal, and he is unethical, and he doesn't play by any set of rules that you could ever define. He will do anything he can to defeat you and make sure that you suffer the same fate that he knows he's going to suffer in eternity. So he doesn't care what method he uses to steal away the word from you. He'll use your friends, or he'll use your enemies. He'll use your phone, or he'll use your computer. He'll use your work week, or he'll use your free time. 
He'll use your responsibilities or he'll use your relationships. He doesn't care as long as he can steal the word away. He'll use your past memories or he'll use your future worries. He'll use your hurts or he'll use your hang-ups. He doesn't care. Anything will work as long as it steals the seed of the word of God out of your life. He'll use today's offenses or he'll go back in the past and dredge up yesterday's wounds. Anything he can do. He doesn't care what method he uses to harden your heart. All he cares about is keeping the transforming power of the word of God out of your life because if he's done that he's won a great victory. But that's not who we are here tonight. We came to Bible study willingly. In fact, we came cheerfully. I hope you did. Behind that mask, if you're a grump, just hide it. Let your eyes dance or something. We didn't just come willingly. We came cheerfully. We're here to study, to hear, to listen, to obey, to be changed by the Word of God. We love this. And that's important because the devil would like nothing more than to steal the Word of God out of your life and your heart. He just wants to keep the Scripture from taking root in you. Now, I don't have to say this. I'm preaching to the choir tonight. But we live in a very treacherous time when the Word of God is being attacked from all sides, including by some who say they are believers or Christians and they're taking apart the word of God. These people are actually described in the first chapter of Romans, which mentions many of the sins that we see in our culture today. How do they end up so calloused toward conviction? Well, Romans would tell us this. They begin by arguing with the truth of God's word that is plainly understood in creation. They start arguing with that. And then they start to sink into the spiritual ignorance that inevitably follows when you argue with the word of God. And soon they begin to defend the sinful conduct of the world around them and ultimately they begin to practice some of those degrading sins. First in secret, perhaps, then in public. It's a vicious circle because sin leads to a hardened heart, but then a hardened heart leads to more and more sin, and it just keeps going around and around. Here's what Paul says in Romans 1. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world, they are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Here's what he says. His conclusion is, when you look at the world God has created, you are without excuse to not believe there's a creator. You're without excuse. You, you can add up all the numbers and you can go through all the theories, but Paul concludes, you're without excuse. And here's why. This isn't just people at random this is people that have a chance to know truth and decide to turn against it. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imagination. They were so proud of their intelligence and their intellect. And their foolish heart was darkened. Their heart got hard. Their heart went dark. Professing themselves to be wise... They became fools. That's a dangerous diagnosis. 
They professed that they were wise. They said they knew a lot of things. But while they professed themselves to be wise in human wisdom, they became fools in God's wisdom, the only wisdom that counts. Now, the opposition of a hardened heart to God's word, Jesus talks about this often in what we call his kingdom parables, the parables he teaches during the final year of his public ministry. We call them the kingdom parables. And he talks often about how the human heart can oppose God's word and push back against God's word and push back against God's kingdom. And the reason is because a kingdom indicates a king, which indicates rulership. And Jesus taught over and over again that God has a right to rule over the hearts and the lives of his people. But that's exactly what a person with a hardened heart doesn't want to hear. That's exactly what they resist. God's not going to rule over me. I don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want God making my choices or impacting my life or my preference. And that's exactly what they don't love. And that's exactly why Jesus depicts those kind of people as a well-worn, barren footpath. They're just around the field. They're on the perimeter. They're at the extreme. Their heart is a busy road. It has been traveled by a multitude of opinions and a multitude of philosophies and a multitude of iniquities every day of their life. It's not fenced, so it's exposed to all the evil trampling of anything wicked that just happens along. It can trample in and out of their heart. It can trample over their priorities. It can mess up their, their intellect. It can mess up their conscience. They're just wide open and all the lies that culture would contain can trample on their heart. They're exposed to anything wicked that comes along. Their heart is never plowed by conviction. It is never cultivated with any kind of self-examination. It's never changed by true repentance. And so it's sad, and it's tragic, and it's dangerous. After years of allowing anything and everything to just walk through their thoughts, after years and years of a growing indifference to God's holiness, it just makes their heart hard. It makes their heart impenetrable. And so the New Testament, you would expect it to talk about this, and it does. The writer of Hebrews said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, watch this, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Take heed, brethren. Don't let an evil heart of unbelief be in you. He's talking to Christians. Don't let your heart become hardened by the deceitfulness, the deceptiveness, the craftiness, the wickedness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin causes people to think, I'm okay, God hasn't judged me yet. And they don't realize that they are storing up judgment for the future. And even more tragic, they don't realize that God leaving them alone and letting them do whatever they want, that's the worst kind of judgment at all. I don't want Jesus to leave me alone. I don't want him to stop talking to me. 
I don't want my spirit to stop being troubled when wicked things come into my thoughts and into my life. I don't want that to stop. I don't want Jesus to leave me alone. I don't want him to give me space so I can do my own thing. I want Jesus as close as the mention of his name. I want him to walk with me and talk with me. I want him to put little impressions in my mind. I want Jesus to say to me, no, Raymond, don't go there. Don't do that. I want that. I welcome that. I need that. And you do too. So be careful, brethren, lest any of you would have a heart of unbelief that is hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Don't be like that worn down, busy, packed down, hardened footpath. Romans chapter 2. Paul says to the Christians in Rome, he said, thinkest thou this, O man, you're judging people who do all these sins that he mentioned in chapter 1. You're judging them, but you're doing the same thing. They may be doing it publicly or overtly, but you're fascinated by it privately in your heart. And you're judging them. You're judging the culture around you. But you're ensnared in the same things. You do the same. Do you think that you will ex escape the judgment of God? You say, well, I don't feel anything. God's never told me to stop. God's never withdrawn his blessing from me. And here's what he says to that. Or are you despising the riches of his goodness? And the forbearance of his long suffering? Don't you know that it is the goodness and the blessing of God that leads you to repentance? God's not blessing you because he affirms what you're doing. God's not blessing you because he thinks that the sin in your life is no big deal. God is blessing you because he wants to lead you close to himself. He wants to lead you to a place of repentance. He's hoping that you'll clue in someday that God is good to me and the world's done nothing but hurt me and he's hoping that the goodness of God will lead you to repentance. But watch what he says. But after thy hardness and your impenitent heart, a heart that won't repent, you are treasuring up, you are storing up unto yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Because on that day, grace is over. Mercy is over. Repentance and forgiveness are over, and on that day, God will render to every man according to his deeds. Do you know the greatest privilege that Christians have? Is we get to put our sins under his blood and have them dealt with now. For everybody else, their sins are going to meet them in judgment. If their sins have never caused them a minute of grief or consternation, if their life is just top shelf and everything is hunky-dory tonight, someday their sins are going to meet them in judgment. My sins and your sins, if you're a child of God and your sins are under his blood, your sins are not going ahead of you to meet you in judgment. Your sins went behind you there 2,000 years ago, buried under the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. So you don't have to meet your sins at judgment. You are abundantly blessed. Now, just in case we get off on this kind of thing, well, yeah, that our culture's wicked and our culture's so hardened and our culture doesn't love the Word of God. Remember that Jesus is addressing disciples and religious people on this day. And the Pharisees, the religious scholars, they were the hardest 
hearts of all in Jesus' audience that day. And many times today we see it. People who have their own customized version of Christianity. They pick out the parts that they like and they ignore the parts that they don't care for. People who have their own customized version of Christianity, they are just about the hardest hearts for the Word of God to penetrate today. You say, that's hopeless, Pastor Raymond. Yes, it is. Absolutely is. It's hopeless outside of your decision and God's power. But there are scriptures like this in the word of God. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Here it is. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and he rains righteousness upon you. It is possible. It's, it's not probable. So many people with a hardened heart, they're content to stay right there. But it is possible. To make a decision to say, I've been hardened toward God far too long. I've been hardened toward the conviction and the commandments of his word for far too many months and years. I make a decision. It's called repentance. It's the most powerful privilege in the Bible that I, a human being who's messed up so badly and, and, and offended God so greatly, I can choose to ask him for forgiveness and he will forgive me. I can choose to break up the fallow ground, the hardened soil of my life. I can choose to dig it up. I can choose to turn that soil over. I can choose to take every tool at my disposal and I can say I'm not going to be hardened to the word of God any longer. I am tired of the devil walking through my life. I'm tired of vain philosophies and all kinds of worldly attitudes just parading through my life and trampling on my heart. Today I make a decision. I'm going to break up that fallow ground. If it takes me a month, if it takes me a year, I'm going to break up what was hardened and I'm going to change my response to the word of God. So that's not probable that that will happen. Most people, they'll never do it. But it's possible. And if it's possible, that means it's doable. And if it's doable, that means you or I can do it. We can choose to break up the hardened, fallow ground of our heart. That's the hardened heart. It's frightening. It's terrifying, actually, that people can have their hearts so hard that the word of God never, it bounces off. It, it never gets a chance to get in there and work. I don't ever want to be like that. Not in any way. Not for any part of the word of God. If it's the word of God, my heart is open to it. I don't care how it challenges me or how it chafes me or how it corrects me or how it directs me. If it's the word of God, I am wide open to it. I don't want the word of God to be bouncing off of me and, and I don't receive it and then the devil just comes and takes it away. Would you lift up your hands and your prayer right now and just tell Jesus you do want to receive from his word. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's kosher to just kind of go through a lesson and never respond to the Lord. The Holy Ghost is in this room and he'd like to help you break up that fallow ground if it's in your life. And he wants the word of God to penetrate the soil of your heart and take root and bear fruit. God's not your enemy. God's not against you. God loves you. God's for you. God is the great 
greatest friend you've ever had and he would love for the word that he gave us for it to take root and bear fruit in your life. So Jesus if there's hardened areas in my heart, I break them up tonight. I dig them up tonight. I want my heart to be soft and open and receptive to your word because I need your word more than I need anything else. My. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm. Oh, there's something special in Bible study tonight. I'm so grateful for the touch of God. See, in the, in the spirit like that, anything that I just said from the word of God in a moment of worship and prayer like that, the spirit can take that word and he can plant it down deep in your heart. So don't let your heart be hardened. Do whatever you have to do. Pay any price you have to pray. pay. Leave behind anybody you've got to leave behind. But you need to have a heart that receives the word of God. Oh, my. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Search me, O oh God. Try me, O oh God. Know my thoughts. Know my heart. Turn the light of your spirit on the deep places of me. And help me break up the fallow ground. There's a second kind of soil in Jesus' parable, and he explains it to the disciples. You see, in another part of that field, there's a thin layer of soil. It looks good, but it's spread over a layer of solid rock not very far beneath the surface. It's the shallow soil. Without deep roots, vegetation can't live for very long in a dry climate. It grows lush and leafy very quickly, but it dies just as quickly, and it dies long before it ever reaches maturity or long before it would ever bear fruit. And so this kind of growth, it's, it's useless for any profitable purpose. And Jesus uses this kind of soil to picture a shallow-hearted person. And this is what Jesus said. This isn't my evaluation, this is exactly what he said. He's picturing the person who responds to the word enthusiastically and quickly, immediately, but only superficially. So it looks good at the beginning, but it's only superficial. All that initial enthusiasm actually obscures the problem. That they're excited about something, but they've never put down roots. And that happens. Psalm 129 makes a similar comparison, which you've seen with your own eyes if you've ever been uh, around an older house and they've got roof gutters and over time dirt and seeds and tree branches and everything is blown in there. And if you've probably seen this with your own eyes. I have. In that thin layer of dirt that's in a roof gutter, Grass can grow. You ever seen that? I have. So you got a roof gutter and grass is growing out of it. It's not exactly what that's for. That grass may even have a lush green color. But it's in a location that can't possibly sustain long-term life. So it's doomed almost as soon as it sprouts 
because in that shallow little layer of soil, it can't possibly have a root system. No reaper is going to bother picking plants like that out of shallow soil. No harvester is going to bundle up sheaves of worthless weeds. That's exactly what the psalmist says. He said, let them be as the grass upon the housetops, which withereth before it grows up, wherewith the mower, the reaper, filleth not his hand. He, he won't bother with that. It's useless. Nor he that bindeth sheaves, he won't gather those weeds and take them into his bosom and carry them back to the barn. They're worthless. They're useless. And so Jesus describes these people. He said that these people, they receive the word with joy. Probably because they think serving God is going to solve all their problems and make their life easy. So they come to a service and they get... They hear a sermon and they see the worship and they're impressed by how the Spirit of God is there and, and, and they make a decision, I'm going to follow God. But it doesn't last because they made it on a shallow level. They just thought, well, man, I'm going to try this. I've tried a lot of other things. I might as well try this. And some of them, they get baptized on a whim. Some of them, they come to the altar and God privileges them by filling them with His Spirit. And they speak in tongues and it's beautiful and we all shout and sing and dance and it, it's amazing. But see, the problem is that they receive the word with joy, but they're totally at the mercy of the trials and the temptations of life because they were only in it for the quick fix. They never made any effort to do something that is not very glamorous. It's not very glamorous and not very exciting to do the work, the consistent work, of actually becoming a disciple of Jesus. Disciple and discipline come from the same root word. A disciple is one who is disciplined to follow their master. And these people, they don't ever do that. So it's kind of like they, they come in, it looks fantastic, everybody thinks, wow, what an experience they had, they're so excited, they're so joyful, this is so amazing. But Jesus said, this kind of person who has a shallow heart, they endure, here's what he says, they endure only for a while because their spiritual life is so superficial. They are shallow, they are rootless. So this is tragic. It's not a matter of if their faith will fail. It's just a matter of when their faith will fail. Because it's only that deep. They will face trials and temptations like all of us. They may experience opposition or persecution. They will see difficult days and dark nights. And they most certainly will have the opportunity to be offended when pastor gets up and preaches the word of God and the word of God begins to make some demands on their life and their character and their decisions and their activities and their lifestyle, they most certainly will have the opportunity to be offended at the word. And that's the moment when you can see just how shallow their heart is. Because when that happens, when they get challenged by life or challenged by the word or challenged by the conviction of God's spirit, they come to a point where it's just not worth it. For them, I'm only here for the benefits. 
I'm only here for the joy. I'm only here for the excitement. I'm only here for the thrill. I'm only here for the quick fix. And if Jesus solves all my problems, I'm here. But if Jesus doesn't answer my prayer, I'm gone. They're that shallow. They can't keep up the pretense any longer when the storms of life hit them in the face. And so, sadly, tragically, at that moment, they will backslide. They will walk away. And the New Testament talks about this. The, the Bible continually tells us that only those who continue in God's word will survive living for God. Everyone say continue. No, here's what Hebrews says. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. See, you've got to continue in your faith. Colossians chapter 1. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Paul said, I preached to you, I preached to a lot of people, but here's what I've noticed, that you've got to continue in the faith, you've got to be grounded in your faith, you've got to be settled in your faith, you can't be moved away, you can't be fickle, you've got to stay with your faith, you've got to continue in the word. Jesus said, Jesus said to those Jews that believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You're really my disciples if you continue in my word. Everyone say continue. Now we love verse 32. We quote it all the time. But we typically quote it out of context. And so here's verse 32. It's wonderful. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Any of you Pentecostals ever heard a Pentecostal preacher quote that verse? Yeah, all the time. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And we, we quote it, we misquote it, we massage it, we move it around. We love that verse. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We misquote it, we say it'll set you free. and it'll. We, but, but, but that's truth. And truth works like that. Truth will make you free. But before you get to verse 32 you got to go through verse 31. It's all about the math. 31, then 32. If you continue, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Why do you get made free? Why does your life become a life of freedom from sin and freedom from the pressures of the world? And Why does your life become free? Why are you made free? It's because you know the truth. Well, why do you know the truth? It's because you continue in his word. You're not just here for the quick fix. You're not just here for the, you know, the, the one night seminar and, and then you're gone. You're, you're here. You're following him because you're there for good. You're there for keeps. So here's the point, brothers and sisters. If you want to grow in your faith, continue. But it's hard this week, sure. It may be easy next week, or it may be harder. I don't know. I'm not God. But if you want to grow in your faith, here's the principle. Continue. That's the principle. You want to have victory over your problems? Continue. 
continue praying, continue worshiping, continue showing up at church, and just smile. Even though nobody can see you behind that dumb mask, just smile because it irritates the devil because he, he has x-ray vision. He can see through the mask. And it makes him mad when you have trouble and trial and temptation and all kinds of junk all week. And you come to the house of God and you're like, he just hates that. If you want to have victory over your problems, continue. If you want to experience that miracle that you say, i got to have a miracle. I need a miracle. If you want to get that miracle, continue. Don't stop praying because you didn't see it last Sunday night. Don't quit interceding because God didn't come through in a month. Continue. If you want to overcome that besetting sin or that temptation that's in your life, here's what you got to do. I hate to make it this simple, but it's true. You got to continue. But I got knocked down yesterday, but the devil defeated me last week. But I failed and I sinned and I slipped up and I messed up uh, this past month. It doesn't matter. Here's the principle. If you want to overcome that temptation, continue. Get back up on your little feet. Square your shoulders. Look the devil in the eye and say, you messed me up, but not this week. And continue. If you want to see the end of that trial that you've been working through and walking through and you've been experiencing and it seems like it's lasted forever, if you want to ever get to the end of it, continue. Brother Tenney was fond of saying, if you wind up in hell, keep walking. Because you'll eventually come out of it. If you're walking through hell, keep walking. If you're walking through a trial, if you're walking through a test, if you're walking through issues and problems and setbacks and difficulties and hard circumstances, you don't sit down in the middle of it and bemoan your circumstance. You continue you keep showing up, you keep worshiping, you keep praying, you keep praising, and you just continue. That's how you get through a trial. If you want the church, this isn't for everybody, but maybe you're one of those per people that, you know, you feel this call of God, and, and you want the church to acknowledge and recognize your ministry, and it's like, nobody knows my name, and nobody knows how gifted I am. Well, that's a problem of a different kind, but anyway... But if you want to do something great for God and you want somebody to say, wow, they have a ministry and they're being used by God, continue. Continue in obscurity. Continue when nobody knows your name and continue when nobody's noticing what you're doing. Just be faithful. Continue. Continue is the principle of the New Testament. If you want God to use your life for his glory, keep going. Continue in his word. And, and, and that's the difference between People that end up getting through things and people that just get defeated by things. When people have shallow hearts and they have superficial faith, it's usually because they have selfish motives or because they never really counted the cost of serving God. So here's what happens to those people. We, we got some, some senior saints in, in this uh, church house today and they know this as well or better than I do. Here's what happens to those people that don't count the cost of serving God. And they come to God with kind of a selfish motive because Jesus is supposed to fix everything and Jesus is supposed to heal everything. And, and so when Jesus doesn't solve all their problems and when life isn't easy and when their dreams aren't fulfilled 
And when their trials drag on endlessly and when their prayers don't get answered and when serving God becomes challenging or difficult and when the emotional high of salvation and and the, the energy of the new birth and the newness of church, when that all kind of wears off, they just check out mentally and they slack off spiritually. Let me talk to the Pentecostals tonight, seeing as you're here. It is possible to overdose on emotion in the Pentecostal faith. It is possible. Sometimes we think that the more outwardly enthusiastic somebody is, the more spiritual they are. Let me just tell you, after 40 years of ministry, that is far from the truth that the more outwardly enthusiastic they are, the deeper they are, the more spiritually they are. Now, by the way, I am not defending deadness. I don't even like deadness. Say something so I don't think you're deadness. Okay, good. Uh, Just checking. I don't like deadness. I'm not defending that. But I'm just saying that consistency and continuing trump enthusiasm and excitement every single time so be enthusiastic well don't swing from those chandeliers because they'll come off the ceiling but swing from the chandeliers run the aisles roll the aisles I don't care what you do we love it all here we're not offended by it you can't do anything we're scared of we've seen it all somebody did it before you we're not terrified of it but neither are we embarrassed by it There's enough dead churches in Canada that don't have one ounce of spiritual life. So we're not that. We're not trying to be that. That's not our model. That's not our pattern. We like it when somebody just gets excited about Jesus. But brothers and sisters, that being said, when you get through kind of dancing and jumping and running, you need to walk with God. When you get through being all excited and enthusiastic, and I love every bit of it, and don't you dare stop if you're excited and enthusiastic. I am not campaigning for you to turn into a mannequin. We got enough of those in this church. And some of them sit in the sanctuary occasionally. But of course, none of them are here tonight. I'm not campaigning for you to become a Pentecostal mannequin that never budges and never responds. I think that's an offense in the nostrils of God. I think we need to be responsive to God's spirit. But when you're all done getting excited and enthused and the initial energy and and the newness has worn off and you just now got to put one foot in front of the other and walk with God and live for God, that's when the crunch comes. And that's when shallow soil shows up in your life that you were only that deep anyway. And when Jesus didn't answer your prayer, or you came to that service and somebody hurt your feelings that week and, 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 and your prayer didn't get answered and you're not feeling so good and your life's not going so well and, and you come to service, that's when shallow soil shows up. Shallow soil shows up when you just decide the newness is gone, the enthusiasm's gone, so I'm gone. That's shallow soil great joy and lots of initial excitement can sometimes accompany a shallow heart. So only time and fruit 
prove whether you have what it takes to serve God faithfully. Not your initial joy the night you got baptized. I'm so thankful you were joyful. You should have been joyful. That's one of the great privileges that a human being could ever experience. I'm so thankful that you jumped up and down and ran around or fell down or whatever you did the night you received the Holy Ghost and you spoke in tongues. You should have reacted. You shouldn't just stand there and say, thanks, Jesus. You should have reacted. I'm so glad about that, but once that wears off, and once you come to church for a few months or years, one of the dangers of Pentecost is we become familiar with this. Spirit of the Lord moves in, people are responding, and we're just kind of like, yeah, we did this last week. You can't keep the newness all the time. Sometimes it's going to feel familiar to come to the church house. Sometimes the pastor's sermon is going to sound like something somebody else preached one other time in your life. Sometimes he might forget and preach the same sermon over, and it's exactly, I don't know. It's not always going to be new, exciting, enthusiastic. It's not always going to be like that every day for the rest of your life. It comes down to, are you going to continue? Are you going to walk with God? Even when you don't feel God's presence, are you going to talk to God? So um, let, let's wind up here. Only time and fruit prove whether you have what it takes to serve God faithfully. Here's what uh, Jesus said. Either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. It's going to be one way or the other. For the tree is known by his fruit. Your life for God will be evaluated not only by God but by people over time by your fruit. Here's something else Jesus said. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So who gets there, Jesus? Here's, here's who. But he that doeth continually, he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The people that continue to walk with me, they're going to be in heaven. The people that continue to to walk with me. They're going to make it in. They're going to enter. So not everybody gets there. It's the ones that continue, that continually do, do with the will of my Father. Paul said this in Colossians. He said, I'm praying for you in Colossae that uh, you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I'm praying that you are fruitful in every good work. I'm praying that you are constantly increasing in the knowledge of God. I'm praying that you are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Well, that sounds wonderful, Paul. Oh yeah, but here's the punchline. Because I'm praying that you will survive and you will live and you will walk with God unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. I'm praying that you continue to walk with God and even when life isn't so great that you'll be strengthened, that God will help you, but you'll just keep having joy and you'll keep having patience and you'll have long suffering. And what does that all mean? That means I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for good. I'm in it for keeps. I'm just going to keep walking with God. It's always sad to see people fall away from their faith because they were too shallow to survive. Music, come on back if you would. Now, people like that, that fall away from their faith because they, they were just too shallow. They were a flash in the pan. They were an overnight success story, but they never made it. They never survived. 
and they finally walked away when life got too hard and God let them down or the church disappointed them. You know what we're going to do about those people? We will always love them. We will always continue to reach for them. But we will not let their decision, I don't care if they're in your family, we will not let their decision to walk away affect our direction in serving God. We'll love them, we'll pray for them, we'll reach for them. We'll always be here to welcome them back and welcome them home, always, forever, until Jesus comes. But we will not let their bad decision affect our good direction. John tells us plainly, and he writes this toward the end of the first century, he tells us plainly that some people just don't have what it takes to continue. He says, they went out from us. They left. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out and God showed us something when they left. That they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. It was a tongue twister. John said, they left because they didn't have the same thing you have. They walked away because they didn't have the same determination, the same dedication. They didn't have the same love for God or love for his word that you have. And so they left. They went. Don't let their bad decision affect your good direction. Keep loving them. Pray for them. Don't misuse them. Don't talk about them. What would you do that for? We want to leave the door open and the light on and the welcome mat out. And the second anybody decides to head back toward Jesus, guess what? We're here going every single time. I don't care how bad the world's messed them up or how bad they've messed themselves up or how bad the devil's messed them up. We're here. They're welcome. And they will always be loved and prayed for. And we're expecting them to come back. Because the time's getting short, and we're praying that some of that conviction that was in their heart when they did know Jesus, that it get working them over in the middle of the night. If you got somebody that you love and they're not serving God and you want them to, and they're just kind of stubborn, pray that God wakes them up, makes them feel what they used to know and feel what they used to feel. And they get tired enough, they'll come back. They've watched some of you sleep in church, they'll come and have a nap beside you. That was unwarranted and uncalled for. And I didn't mean to wake you up. I apologize if I... Did he say sleep? John tells us plainly, some people just don't have what it takes. So you leave the light on and you leave the door open and you leave the welcome mat out and you pray for them and you get ready to love them and welcome them home. But don't you let their bad decision affect your good direction. You continue last scripture written from a prison cell in the first century circumstances were certainly not pleasant they were very difficult and Paul wrote this not as though I had already attained or that I was already perfect but I follow after somebody say follow somebody say continue but I follow after 
if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Jesus caught up with me one day and changed my life. I'm just running after him. I'm catching up with him. Wherever he's going, I'm going. Wherever he's leading, I'm leading. Whatever he's doing, I'm there. Whatever God's blessing, I want to be in the middle of it. I'm following him. I'm, I want to catch. I want to apprehend what Jesus is doing because he apprehended me. He caught up with me one day, changed my life. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. I haven't become all that God wants me to be. Paul's on death row. He's, he's in jail for the cause of the gospel. He has worked for Jesus many years now. He's preached. He's taught. He's written. He's reached. He's prayed. He said, I'm not there yet. I haven't got there yet. But this one thing I do. I can't do everything perfectly. I was a murderer of Christians in my former life. I've got years that I regret and choices that I, I don't even want to think about that I made. So I can't go back and fix that. Life is not pleasant for me right now. I'm in jail. It's a Roman jail. The food's not good. The torture is unbearable the time just drags on and on and on I can't figure out why Jesus won't open the prison for me like he opened it for Peter I haven't got it all figured out and I'm not there yet but this one thing I do I forget those things which are behind and I reach forth unto those things which are before it's not always easy to do that so I have to press, I push, I press toward the mark, toward the goal for one prize. The prize is not worldly acclaim. The prize is not an easy life. The prize is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What are you saying, Paul? I'm not there yet. Life is hard, but I'm not shallow. I will continue. I will follow. I will push. I will press. I refuse to be shallow. I want God and his word to take root in my life in a brand new way. I hope you do too. I'm finished. Would you lift up your hands right now in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of his people and yes, in the presence of the preached word of God tonight. Would you open up your mouth and would you let your voice out and would you pray with pastor for a minute because Jesus is here and he's here because he wants you not just to hear his word. He wants the word to take root in you. I'm just waiting on you for a second because I know that spirit of prayer is still here. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and I thank you for its power. But its power accomplishes nothing in me unless I welcome it in. It accomplishes nothing in me if my heart is so hard that it can't penetrate. It doesn't last in me if my heart is so shallow and my priorities are so shallow and my expectations are so shallow that the least little thing throws me off and I quit. The word can never grow in me. I reject and I rebuke those attitudes and I open my heart to the working of your spirit 
and to your word tonight. Let it begin in me. Let it take root in me. Let it grow in me. Let it start in me. Jesus, I don't resist your word. I receive your word. I don't push away your spirit. I press toward your spirit. Bless these wonderful people that are part of this church and part of this Bible study tonight. Talk to them as they pray and as they seek you and as they walk with you and reveal your word to these wonderful saints of God, I pray. We love your word, Jesus. We're committed to it. And we want it to take root in us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Would you close this service by lifting your hands as high as you can, lifting your voice even a little higher and just thanking God for the word that ever intersected your life and changed your heart and made you new and blessed your family and helped you out and got you through tough times. It's the word. It's the word. The word is powerful. And if my heart's open to receive it, the devil fears that because the word is transformative. The word can change anything. Oh, some of you are standing. I wish we could all do that. We need to stand up to leave in a minute anyway. So why don't we stand and give God a standing ovation of praise? I'm not talking about a clap. I'm just talking about a worship, a praise, a standing ovation to the King of Kings. He's the one who gave us his word. He's the one who blessed us with his spirit. I love the word. I'm open to the word. I'm receptive to the word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. What a great privilege and what an esteemed honor to be able to share the word of the Lord with you. Thank you for the privilege of teaching you tonight. I love this book, and I love all of you. Amen.